When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, the story of the infamous Cabbage Patch Kid riots. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out Before Black Friday was a thing, and before other toy crazes like Tickle Me Elmo or Furby, there was one toy craze to rule them all. The Cabbage Patch Kids riots of 1983 were based around the growing frenzy of the Cabbage Patch Kids. A high demand mixed with low inventory led to in-store riots, tramplings, and overall violence. And that's what we're going to look at today, whether you're old enough to remember this specifically or this is just a brand new history lesson. It's a pretty amazing story. So we'll get right to that. Before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, here we go. So like I said, there have been some really hot toys over the years that kids want more than life itself. The 80s ushered in this whole new era of toys that made us kids lose our collective minds. Every year has its hot toy. I mentioned the Furby, the Tickle Me Elmo. Here are a bunch of standouts from over the years. You have weird things like the Pet Rock. You have Beanie Babies. You have the Game Boy, which came out in 1989. Transformers, the Rubik's Cube, uh, Tamagotchi, Teddy Ruxpin was huge, Pogs, Hatchimals, a bit of everything. Um, As hot as these toys were... Nothing compares to the Cabbage Patch Kids craze of 1983. I'll I'll do a quick backstory. I've done a whole show on the history of the Cabbage Patch Kids earlier on, but here's like the quick recap on the dolls that caused this whole ordeal. So the Cabbage Patch Kids themselves go back to the 1970s, but that wasn't their original name. They were first called Doll Babies. If you remember, if you ever had a Cabbage Patch Kid or seen it, you remember the name Xavier Roberts branded right into the ass cheek of these little dolls. But that was not the original creator. It was a lady named Martha Nelson Thomas who first created the doll babies. She wanted to take a new approach with these dolls as many of them, you know, the dolls that she grew up with or... Uh, she saw around, they were not really accessible to be played with. They were too delicate, whether they had porcelain faces or breakable features. They were more about being displayed on a shelf instead of being lovingly played with by a child. So she thought kids needed a doll that could, you know, handle physical play. So she made these doll babies with fabric faces. Not only would this make them more durable to be played with, but it also gave them more of a 
infantile like look to them as opposed to again those porcelain dolls or whatever that look like they're going to come to life in the middle of the night and murder you she also had an interesting idea instead of just buying the doll from her you would adopt it that would give more of a sense of ownership to the purchaser or the owner she started selling these new dolls at craft fairs and they were a big hit right away so i mentioned xavier roberts and so obviously he factors into this story at some point and here's how that happened he was uh one of the people that would frequent these craft shows where thomas was displaying these doll babies so the one day he walks in it's in 1976 these new kind of plush you know squishy type dolls catch his eye he liked the look and even more, he liked the whole concept of the adoption. So he would end up buying some to sell at his own shop in Georgia. Thomas found out this was happening, and then also that Roberts was charging a much higher price, and she took back her dolls. He allegedly had said if he couldn't sell her dolls, he would sell some just like them. So Roberts was interested in these because he had a design background, and specifically in things like soft sculpture. Um, so that's why he was sort of drawn to them. And then he realized he could recreate the exact thing he had seen. Um, and then he figured out they could be mass produced because like I said, they were popular. Like they could only make so many at a time, but they were selling it really quickly at these craft fairs. So he started having bulk quantities of these dolls produced in Hong Kong. Again, they're not technically Cabbage Patch Kids yet. So he changed it and called them little people. Um, the, the main thing is, regardless of the name at the time, he borrowed what would be the big selling point of the dolls. Again, that idea of the adoption. He came up with the adoption certificate. And along with that, then he started to create a backstory to the dolls. And this is a big thing in the 80s that makes a lot of the best-selling toys stand out. The, the backstory and the idea of, I mean, today we would call it a universe or whatever, but say like with the transformers and i did a whole show on this before a transforming robot is really cool you know if it turns into a car that's awesome it's more amazing when it's you find out it's this robotic alien race from another planet called cybertron and you know they crash landed here on earth and they um have these adversaries called the decepticon like once you create that backstory in that world it makes the interaction with the toy that much better and that's what makes a lot of these toys from the 80s some of the best of all time because they were really focused on backstory again with transformers they went to marvel to help create their backstory in comics and then in the original cartoon series so he created the story, um, and that story was that when he was 10 years old, he followed a bumblebee behind a waterfall and was led into a magical cabbage patch. Babies were being born there, and they would be, of course, dubbed Cabbage Patch Kids. So, I don't know, this is the late 70s. I don't know what kinds of influences are helping to develop the story, Create creative influences of, of some sort. So before he launched the Cabbage Patch Kids, Roberts made one more smart move. Either due to his own sense of guilt or wanting to avoid the same issue himself, he would brand his own name right onto the little backsides of these dolls. This was there to copyright the dolls and to avoid counterfeits. Again, depending how old you are, uh, once these things hit, you might have remembered the amount of counterfeit dolls, Cabbage Patch Kids dolls that were available. I remember we had several of them. 
um, just because the availability was difficult, which we'll obviously get to price as well. But, you know, when anything is big, they're, of course, going to knock it off. And it was no difference with the Cabbage Patch Kids. But with the Xavier Roberts stamp, that was their way to, you know, help kind of avoid all the counterfeit and everything like that. So the Cabbage Patch Kids are launched in 1982. They're put out by toy company Coleco. So along with the backstory, uh, the adoption certificate, the branding, Roberts created one more very valuable feature that is probably what led to them becoming such a hit and the inevitable riots. So instead of making one standard doll, like say a Teddy Ruxpin, he would create many different iterations of the same concept. So they would manufacture nine different heads. And then with the various bodies, uh, with the clothing, with the different accessories, it created an endless amount of unique dolls that could be created. And that meant that kids were able to find one just for them. They would have a new toy that was special that their friends did not have. If you had a Teddy Ruxpin, Everyone had a Teddy Ruxpin had the exact same thing. The difference with these is you could find one specifically for you. You could take your time to choose it out. Or if it was given to you, you know, it was thought that it was, you know, whoever's giving the gift took time to, to pick that specific one for you and to bring it to you. Um, and again, you would feel more unique because what you had, no one else had or a very long shot. I mean, there was thousands of different combinations that they could um, create with just those nine different heads. So now you add to that a unique name that they gave each of those different dolls, then the birth certificate, and you have a toy that feels like it's custom made like those original doll babies back in the 70s. So that's really what leads to these things becoming a hit. And I think it's, you know, it's ultimately that idea of customization, which just can't happen in other toys because to create different versions and varieties is so expensive. But in um, with creating different molds and different fabrications and all that, whatever technical detail, a good example of this is when Justin Bieber was at his like, not most popular, but when he was like really starting to take off when he was uh, whatever, 14, 15 Side note, I'm from the same town Justin Bieber's from, so I can talk crap about him if I want. But when he had that, like, shaggy Beatles whatever haircut, there was a toy company that was putting out a doll of Bieber with that hair. So, you know, they're they're producing millions of these things, and they've got um, the, the factory production ready to go. And then he cuts his hair. I don't know if you remember that. Like, that was a huge deal, apparently. He cut it short. So now this manufacturer is freaking out they've already got all these dolls in production and they have to go back um, design like new heads and hairs and put them on to get it out and like almost bankrupted the company i think it did if i remember i'll have to look up that story after but like that's the thing all these different variables with toy variations it's just too expensive but in the case of the cabbage patch kids they had the option the very easy option just to swap things in and out as they were being assembled and again there's no better way to make a person or a kid feel special by making them feel unique. And that's what the Cabbage Patch Kids offered. No one else had that doll. Again, there's more of that ownership. There's more of that connection. There's that backstory. As a kid growing up in the 80s, personally, I recognized the appeal to them right away. Um, when you would look at a Cabbage Patch Kid in a store, you would look through all those different 
um, versions. Like you didn't see copies of one. You didn't see doubles or duplicates. You just, you found that one that sort of stood out to you, whether it was the name or the outfit or the accessories or whatever it was. So there actually was a real sense of adoption to the whole process. It's a brilliant marketing well, possibly inadvertent marketing strategy, but really hasn't been duplicated to that same extent. The closest one was the pound puppies, which would follow a year, a few years later. And again, instead of just putting out a stuffed dog, they created um, a dog with the backstory and it came in this little caring doghouse cage and same thing, you would adopt it and there were the different names and, you know, they copied that version, but that worked pretty well too. So again, this is what this is all building to these riots. I'm setting the stage here. So instead of just grabbing a coveted toy off the shelf, like say some people did with a Furby, the decision with a Cabbage Patch Kid took time and thought and consideration. Um, and again, it was a more drawn out process. You didn't run, um, and that is what <laughs> would be part of the whole demise of this thing so now you've got a very unique toy and now you've got a series of commercials that really drive home how special and unique these dolls were you're gonna have to again if this is all new to you youtube some of the very first cabbage patch kids commercials and you really see how well they convey that message and again since this was the 80s and there were basically only three networks uh, and most kids were watching saturday morning cartoons Every kid alive knew about the Cabbage Patch Kids. There was no way they weren't going to be aware of this brand new toy. And they looked cute. They looked fun and special. And you could, as good marketers and manufacturers do, um, make you envision yourself playing with them the same way the kids in the commercial did. Coleco did this very well. All 80s toys did this masterfully because they were, this is a whole side note, I've covered this a million times, but the era of deregulation and advertising to children where there were a lot of restrictions before because kids can't necessarily differentiate between um, content and commercials. It, it becomes one and the same to them. So it was seen as manipulative and taking advantage of kids when you would really you know, make commercials look like little mini specials or mini cartoons or um, using cartoon animal mascots or whatever but the Ronald Reagan took away he deregulated all these restrictions so that's why the 80s is this pop culture avalanche uh, there's so there was a 300% increase in licensed characters because there was free reign now you could go after kids and marketing by using the dirtiest tactics and the kids don't care because they just think this thing looks amazing. And Coleco was one of many companies that did an amazing job marketing um, and making kids just crave something more than life itself. This is with, with good commercials and good marketing, a child is already invested in the toy because they've already seen their life with one in it. They're, they're, they're in the commercial with the toy. So now you've got a unique toy. You've got a coveted desire due to the marketing campaign. And you combine that with the Christmas season and you've created the perfect storm and that's the Cabbage Patch Kid Riots of 1983. So no surprise here. If you don't get your toy out in time for Christmas, you're pretty screwed. The Cabbage Patch Kids came out in the fall of 1983. And of course, the demand was through the roof. Kids were screaming for these toys. And no parent wanted to be the one that didn't deliver come Christmas time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a pretty unique situation as it really was the quality and uniqueness of the toy that drove the craze because there wasn't any internet or blogs or Amazon reviews or YouTube videos that could create a false sense of demand for it, which many manufacturers still do today. There are more regulations on stuff like this, but you can, you know, with, with branded content marketing and using influencers, you can create a bit of a fake craze. There was no way to do that in the 80s. When there was a craze, it was a straight up craze. Kids genuinely wanted it. Like me be not, um, you know, me being a young boy who wouldn't necessarily, you know, this is the 80s where marketing was directly male, female and, you know, dolls and robots and violence and G.I. Joe. But I remember regardless of your your gender in the 80s, I remember wanting a Cabbage Patch Kid. Everyone wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid because they were just so hot. It was irrelevant that they were a doll. Um so, of course, Coleco had not anticipated such high demand, and that's where the problems start to begin. Not only did they not anticipate it, but the store owners didn't either. There's so many new toys released each year, especially in the 80s, like I mentioned, with this avalanche of new um, products and toys. So, as, as store owners, they can't buy a ton of them. You just have to get an adequate amount of each whatever toy to keep your bases covered. So many toys ultimately fall by the wayside, so you don't want to be stuck with an excess inventory of them. So most big stores or department stores or whatever were only stocking around 200 to $500 max. Sorry, 200 to 500 dolls max. But the storm is starting to brew. Again, there weren't many resources that could drive the hype of the new toy in the 80s. You're pretty much, you know, left to those commercials. You know, the odd news report, maybe a little thing in in the newspaper. But the demand is growing really quickly, regardless of um, any media, you know, being involved with this at all. They would eventually, but not at the time. So people are going... If you think the amazing thing with marketing in the 80s... Most of it is done by kids on playgrounds. They're determining the success of products, toys, shows, everything. Just kids in their neighborhoods and their schools um, sharing this information between themselves and then bringing it home and telling their parents or their siblings or whatever. So the demand's growing. And people are going out to now pick up this hot new toy for Christmas in 1983. And they're finding there's only a handful left. Or in some cases, there was none left. So when it comes to a parent trying to provide the best for their children, we know they will stop at nothing. There's also like this competitive aspect to all this. You want to come through and accomplish your goal and and be the standout parent among your um, peers. So people are now snatching them up pretty quickly, whereas before you had time to think it over, pick out the right doll with only like two or three available, you didn't have that option. You just had to grab it before someone else did. Um, And now others are showing up at stores to find the shelves empty. Now people are venturing out to other locations and they're finding the same issue. Along the way, they're running into other parents who are facing the same problem. Where can I get a Cabbage Patch Kid? 
by this point, news reports, news reports are starting to come out that are doing features on these unique new dolls and how they seem to be the top toy for Christmas of that year. This is only adding fuel to the fire, and now the craze is moving into full gear. So now this is where the media starts to get involved, and they start reporting on how few Cabbage Patch kids seem to be available. And of course, nothing drives up demand like the idea of scarcity. This, and again, this isn't fabricated scarcity that you might see through Amazon or other whatever big companies or, you know, only two left as you're buying, you know, in your adding things to your cart when you know there's tens of thousands of those products still available. The truth was there was just not many available. Um, the stores that had stocked the 200 to $500 max were now getting thousands of customers. When new ship- shipments finally arrived, there would be a mad scramble to try and get one. Some stores would only get a dozen or so for hundreds of customers. Now it gets to the point that people are lining up outside the stores, waiting for them to open the same way they would years later on Black Friday. In Charleston, West Virginia, 5,000 people showed up at a Hills Department store for only $120. And then the violence kicks in. You, If you want to see um, some of the videos and stuff like this, if you want to go to uh, my blog on this, so everything80spodcast.com slash the Cabbage Patch Kid Riots, I've got links to some of the news reports and some of the footage of, and remember no cell phones, nothing like that. So if you're a news reporter, you just happen to be there at the right time and get it. If not so men, so much of this violence and riots, we didn't see because no one was able to record it. Unlike, you know, say black Friday violence where everyone is recording it. So if not go on to YouTube and, you know, just look up the Cabbage Patch Kid riots to see it. Cause basically we're getting into Lord of the Flies territory here. So along with the angry mobs um, trying to get their way into the stores, the reg, you know, department stores, small stores, giant ones are now having to bring in extra security, even police to help appease these crowds. Some stores were handing out purchase tickets to help to control these crowds. They would be given out to several hundred customers, but with limited supplies, hundreds were still leaving empty-handed, not to mention the hundreds of others without a purchase ticket in the first place. People are now heading to even more stores in one shot. They're going to other cities. People are even going into other states to try and track one down. At this point, the news is reporting on the riots, which... Uh, really always seem to fuel mob mentality. People are trampling, they're biting, they're kicking, they're clawing, they're trying to get one of these coveted dolls by basic straight-up violence. There were stories of people carrying baseball bats to fight off other people. The, uh, this wasn't even limited to the, the customers. As store managers were arming themselves with baseball bats, golf clubs, hockey sticks, whatever they could for control, trying to control, and then for their own protection. I'd say at this point, I don't think parents even cared about what it is they were brawling for. They just wanted one for their kid. I don't think they even necessarily knew at this point why they were so popular. Um, you know, everyone's crawling out of the woodwork. Non-parents are, are seeing the opportunity to get their own and sell them off at exorbitant prices, like Dwight Schrute selling princess unicorn dolls on The Office. Several news reports would interview people saying they didn't necessarily even like them. They just felt they had to have one. Coleco um, 
as all of this is going on, is just not able to keep up with the demand. And remember, Christmas is still a little ways away. It, it, it's not like this is two days before Christmas. We still have a little while. We're, co- we're coming out of the fall after Thanksgiving and we're getting into December. There's still a ways to go to Christmas. Let's look at some of the stories from the front lines here of the Cabbage Patch Kids riots. There, there are tons of these, but some of the notable ones include, speaking of the office, Wilkes-Barre in Pennsylvania, Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Um, that ties in nicely with Dwight Schrute. The store managers armed with the bats in this situation would remark that the shoppers were acting like crazed maniacs. Uh, in Syracuse, New York, news reports would dub it the Cabbage Patch Massacre <clears throat> at the Pencan Mall. Uh, People were being suffocated as the crowds were pushing up against unlocked doors. One lady wrote to an editor saying, as I was lying on the floor being trampled and calling for help, I feared for my life. I arose, stocking footed, face bleeding and knees badly bruised. Mall Santas are now having to try to explain to Santa believing kids why there could be the possibility that Santa wouldn't be able to bring them a Cabbage Patch Kid that year. How do you explain that to a child? Santa didn't have the magical ability to produce a highly valued toy during a period of demand or that he lacked the foresight to produce larger quantities. And and this, you know, besides the Santa thing, this is happening with parents um, wondering how they're supposed to deal with this with their kids. Some of these parents interviewed in news reports were just expressing that sentiment on being unable to provide one parent said quote what are we supposed to tell our little girl christmas morning what do we say you've been good but santa ran short other outlets were now trying to get in on the action and there was an incident in milwaukee again if you grew up in this area you probably remember this story two djs caused more pandemonium by announcing on the radio that a b-29 bomber was going to drop dozens of cabbage patch kids onto a crowd that was holding up catcher's mitts and American Express cards and some of this, this weird cross-promotion thing. The thing is, people believed it. And tons showed up at the county stadium in deadly cold conditions to try and get one of these dolls, which obviously didn't happen because it was a complete hoax. Some compared this to the Orson Welles War, the world's moment, and dubbed it War of the Cabbage Patch Kids World. So it's going you know crazy eventually these things have to calm down and um, they do and just like any other toy or product in history supply eventually catches up and interest goes down stores now had hundreds of cabbage patch kids but no customers everyone had either lost a limb trying to get one or had sold a kidney to buy one on the black market Stores had to end up cutting their orders, but that's not to say they they still weren't selling. They're just enough to kind of uh, appease the the population. There was enough to supply everyone. They were still huge. So this is 1983. They're still huge going into 1984 and even into 1985. But by that point, you know, you could buy one anywhere and they were all over the place. You could buy them in like drugstores. By the end of 1985, they'd still made $600 million. But the popularity would really drop off Drop off after that. In 1986, they would earn around just maybe $250 million. That's still a huge amount of money during this golden age of toys. Like remember with all the other toy competitions to sell that much is, is phenomenal. Um, but you know, they just couldn't duplicate the original success. 
Coleco would file for bankruptcy in 1988 and Hasbro would take over the rights um, around that time and, and try to rekindle a bit of the interest. In 1994, the rights then went to Mattel. Then in 2001, Toys R Us took over the rights and started producing the dolls until the rights again switched over to Play Along Toys in 2003. Jack Pacific would end up acquiring Play Along Toys in 2013. But now Cabbage Patch Kids are still being produced by Wicked Cool Toys, which I assume is based out of Boston. So I'll start winding it down here. It's a pretty crazy story. Um, an interesting look at, um, I guess, you know, the idea of mob mentality and how there's always hysteria for something so coveted and then you know when there's that demand and that hysteria again violence somehow takes over it always emerges when these happen the black friday riots we are familiar with today really seem to have their roots in the cabbage patch kids riots of 1983 the thing is this had never happened before and it would be decades until anything like this happened again you know like i said there had been demand for toys before the cabbage patch kids but nothing like it and there really wasn't anything like it after. And, you know, I mentioned like um, Tickle Me Elmo or Furby or, uh, you know, they were popular and they were tougher to get, but not on this level and not with the violence associated with it. And again, I think it just, it sort of set in motion what retail shopping can become and, and set the stage for what Black Fridays evolved into, you know, it now happens every Thanksgiving for regular consumer goods and electronics. Um, and again, more it's more that mob mentality and that competitive spirit and people just wanting to go out and cause havoc. Um, you know, so whether it's people getting trampled for a $29.99 Blu-ray player that you could get for pretty much the same price before or after Black Friday, there's just, again, something about this scarcity idea or this... Um, survival of the fittest that you have to go after. But like in the case of Black Friday, it's, there's tons of things available and that's what people are going for. With the Cabbage Patch Kids, it was just that toy and this really has, hasn't has happened again. We see this violence. We see what people are capable of, um, but not for this one doll that just was this shining beacon in, in 1983. So... I guess I'll finish it there. Uh, if you, like I said, if you want to read a little more on this, if you go to everything80spodcast.com slash the Cabbage Patch Kid Riot, so you can see my blog on the whole thing. But hopefully you find this interesting. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there, so the fact you're here listening to this one means a lot. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there. And I just want to finish on one last thing coming up on patreon on the patreon movie club i will be reviewing a movie coming up in the next week or two i don't want to give it away the the closest hint i'll give is blue horseshoe loves anacott steel if you know this movie you immediately know what that is from if not that's the little hint of what i'll be reviewing so what patreon is is a way to support this show and then get some bonus free audio content for doing so so i'm an independently produced podcast and it's tougher these days to compete against 
um, huge podcast networks, celebrities, corporations. Um, it's great for growing podcasts, like all, all this new interest and everything. But now it's becoming a little tougher. When I first started podcasting, a few years ago, it, there was around 50,000 podcasts. Today, there's around a million. And again, with these huge podcast networks, it's hard to stand out against them. So Patreon is a way to support a show like this for as little as like two bucks a month and then, you know, getting rewards for it. And there's a few different tiers, uh, say with the Boba Fett level, that is what gives you access to the Everything 80s Movie Club review. And there's, you know, a few different levels and different things that come with it. If you want to learn more about that, just go to patreon.com slash 80s. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s. And you can see more about that there. But that's just a little info if you're interested in supporting a show like this. But thank you for listening. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.